So it was September of 1997, and uh, I'd been dating a young lady by the name of Casey for about a year now. We'd been together for a year, and I realized after a year of us dating that uh, I think this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. So I knew it was time to uh, pop the question, to make that proposal, and the whole time we'd been dating, Casey had told me that um, as a little girl growing up, she loved watching fireworks, and uh, she always looked forward to that day that she'd be able to watch a fireworks display with a uh, boyfriend, with the guy that she loves, and had never been able to do that. And while we were dating, that July 4th of that year, we happened to be apart at the time, and uh, we didn't get to see fireworks together. So I had this idea. I was like, okay, if I'm going to ask her to marry me, I'm going to ask her to marry me in a firework display. That'll be the best place to do it. So September 1997, I, I try to find out where there's any fireworks displays going on. The only one I can find around that time is uh, it's closing out at Comiskey Field, Comiskey Park, the, the White Sox game. So the White Sox, Chicago White Sox were playing, and at the end of the game, there's going to be a fireworks display. So I'm like, that's it. So I secretly buy two tickets to the White Sox game, and then uh, on the night of, I say to Casey, hey, let's just go out for a drive. You know, we've got nothing planned. Let's drive around for a bit. She's like, okay. And back then, Casey would often fall asleep in the car if we drove too long. So she, we were just driving and talking, just kind of heading out on 24, and before we even got to 55, she fell asleep. So when she woke up, we were in the city. We were turning off, and she's like, where are we? I was like, I just want to be spontaneous and just do something crazy. She's like, okay. So I was like, hey, that's the White Sox stadium. It looks like there's a game on. Should we go and watch? She's like, okay. So uh, we pull off and we park and we get in and it's the eighth inning, which I knew. I'd planned for this. I wanted to get to the fireworks display, not the baseball game. So um, <laughs> as you know, I'm a huge baseball fan. So I, uh, we go in. She's like, we've missed most of the game. I was like, that's fine. Let's just watch this last couple of innings. So um, being the romantic that I am, I bought the cheapest tickets I could find. So we were way up high in the nosebleeds, but it was good because there was no one around. So we're sat up in the, the top of this stadium and the game comes to an end and she's kind of looking around a little confused because no one's leaving. Everyone's just kind of hanging out still. And then all of a sudden, all the lights in the stadium go out and the fireworks start going off. And she looks at me, she's like, no way. I was like, surprise. She's like, oh, this is awesome. So for about two or three minutes, we sat there watching the fireworks. And then, I mean, I'm just boop, 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 my house going, you know, I mean, checking my pocket every few minutes just to make sure that ring's still there. So I, uh, I kind of turned to the side and I, and I dropped down on one knee and we, we were just talking about it before service because I forgot this part. Because as I started to stretch my knee, she goes, what are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. What are you doing? <laughs> I forgot that part. So uh, I got down on one knee and I was like, Casey, I love you. Uh, would you marry me? And she's like, nah. I was like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Uh, I, I love you. Will you marry me? She's like, oh, I guess. <laughs> so it was a really romantic moment. Uh, you know, I mean, right then in that moment, I could tell, man, she really loves me too. So uh, but she did. We got married, and uh, next February we'll celebrate 25 years of being married. So uh, I'm glad she said yes, and I'm glad she's put up with me for the last 24, almost 25 years. But um, it reminded me of what I want to speak about this morning, because if you weren't here last week, we started talking about a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was a guy who lived uh, thousands of years ago. We read about him in the Old Testament back in Genesis. I think a lot of us have heard of Abraham, and maybe we even know some of the stories of Abraham. But I wonder if we've ever really looked at Abraham in detail and the story of his life, and really how the story of his life kind of sets the stage for where we are today. His, his story really unfolds throughout history to where we are today. And last week, we got to hear about a proposal. 
Just like my proposal to Casey, um, God comes across Abraham in this city in which he lived and he made this proposal. He said, Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I want you to come and start a new life with me and uh, follow me out into the wilderness. And it was kind of like a proposal, much like the proposal that I gave to Casey. And he did. He responded. He said, yes, I'll go. And he got up. And last week, we, we talked about that, about him leaving his home country and, and moving out into this new place. And not only did God ask him to do this, he also tied up in this proposal, told Abraham, hey, if you do come, if you do come follow me, here's what's in store for you. Here's what I have for you if you will say yes to my proposal. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So not only did God propose to Abraham, would you come be with me? He said, if you come, here is what's in store for you. Much like my proposal to Casey, when I proposed to Casey, I said, I can show you the world, shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, now, when did you last let your heart decide? It was something like that anyway. But I said, you know, come, come be with me. Come be my wife. And, and this is kind of what Abraham was, was happening between God and Abraham. So last week we looked at the proposal, but um, when I asked Casey to be my wife, what I was doing in that moment, in that proposal, that baseball stadium in uh, Chicago, what I was doing was I was setting the stage for another date further down the road where we would stand together in a church in front of friends and family and loved ones, and we would make a promise to one another. We would exchange vows, and, and that proposal was the first step, but the second step was the promise, where the two of us made a promise to be with each other for the rest of our lives. And we're going to find out today that not only did God propose to Abraham, come be with me, that he then made this incredible promise. Today we're looking at the promise that Abraham experienced, the promise that God gave to him. So in Genesis 15, verse 1, we start to hear more about this promise. Sometime later... The Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Now, I pointed this out last week. That's not a typo up there. When we first meet Abraham, that was his name. That was the name his parents gave him, Abram, A-B-R-A-M. That was the name he went up to uh, or went by up to a certain point when his name was changed to Abraham. And we all know him so familiarly as, as Abraham. That's how I'll refer to him. And today, we'll actually find out towards the end of this message um, why his name went from Abram to Abraham. But um, for the time being, I'll, in the passages, I'll read his name as Abraham. But when I talk about him, I'll refer to him as Abraham. Abraham replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, he's a servant in my household. He will inherit all of my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. And the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky. Count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So God is saying, Abraham, you will have a son. Abraham at this point is 75 years old. So he's doubting this a little bit. 
that he truly will be a father of nations. But that's exactly what God's saying. He said, in fact, if you look up at the stars, you can't even count how many there are. That's how many descendants you will have. You won't even be able to count them. Then, in verse 7, the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? So God is telling Abraham, I'm going to give you millions of descendants. I'm going to give you all of this land. But probably it's no surprise, because I think you and I would be the same if we were Abraham. He's saying, but Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? God, this seems pretty extreme. This is pretty a str- bit of a stretch here. This, this proposal you're making I'm having a hard time really believing. When I look at my circumstances, when I look at my current situation, it's hard to imagine that that could possibly be what will happen. So God takes the proposal and decides to make it a promise. Listen to what God says in verse nine. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but he would chase them away. And then verse 17, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Now, if you're someone that um, reads the Bible, maybe you use the YouVersion app or you have a Bible app or a devotional and you kind of read through the Bible, this passage could be one of those passages that you read, but really in the back of your mind, you're like, well, that sounds kind of weird. What was that about? But this is really significant. We, we skip over passages like this sometimes because they really don't really make much sense in our context, in our culture today. But back in Abraham's time, this was huge. What just took place here with these animals being cut in half and this flaming pot going through them, this was incredibly important. And I'll tell you why. In the world in which Abraham lived, this was how people made promises. This was how people gave one another their word. We don't get it because it's not like that for us. If you leave church today and you're in the lobby and a friend of yours comes up to you and says, hey, could you lend me 50 bucks? And you're like, sure, I can do that, but how do I know for sure you're gonna pay me back? And you're like, well, do you have a three-year-old heifer? Okay, good, then we can, uh, (laughs) we just don't do that, do we? We we might shake hands, we might even sign a contract of some sort, But, but back in Abraham's time in the ancient Near East, what we've just seen take place is the most important thing that could possibly happen with regards to a promise or a covenant. And the truth is, we can sometimes miss it because culturally, we don't experience things the way other cultures do. And still to this day, that is true. I actually had lunch just this week with a pastor, a friend of mine. He told me this story. He said, there's a guy in my church. Um, He's going to marry a lady who he's met. And uh, she lives here in America, but she's from Kenya originally. So a couple of weeks ago, I had to go out to lunch with him because um, her father was coming from Kenya to meet him so that he could ask for his daughter's hand in marriage and ask for his father's blessing upon this relationship. And the father had already said, I wanna meet you for lunch, but you need to bring with you someone in authority, someone who's trustworthy. So this guy had to go to lunch with his pastor to meet his future bride's father. 
And there they were at lunch, the three of them, and the father had all sorts of questions to ask, and the, son, the son-in-law, future son-in-law, gave some great answers, and I'll provide for your daughter, I'll look after her, I've got a plan. And, and by the end of the conversation, he said, I, I like what I've heard, I want to give you my blessing to marry my daughter. Now, bear in mind, this was just a couple of weeks ago. Because then he said, now we shall talk about the dowry, what it will cost for you to marry my daughter. He said, I think it is appropriate um, that you provide two goats, a bag of salt, and a case of olive oil. I think that is a fair price. So that was it. The lunch was over. And my pastor friend said it was quite funny because as they were driving back, uh, he and this, uh, my pastor friend and this, this young man who was getting married, he said, where am I going to get two goats? And how is he going to get them back to Kenya? Like, has he, and my, my pastor's friend's like, no, 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 he, you don't give him the literal goats. He's saying, when I get back to Kenya, I will be purchasing these items. So you will have to provide some money to be able to buy these goats. And so they came back and met him again for a second lunch. And at this second lunch, uh, he bought an envelope and he said, I, I've been doing some research and I think $500 should cover the cost of two goats, a bag of salt and some olive oil. And the man said, that seems acceptable. And he took the envelope and he handed it to my friend who was a pastor and said, Pastor, would you count this, please? He says, right there in the restaurant, he had to count it all out. He goes, yep, it's $500. He goes, okay, then. And they shook hands. And now, I tell that story. That sounds kind of strange in 2022 that this is still going on. But, but this, this is a tradition. This is back in Kenya. This is very normal when it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships, because there is a promise being made. There is a covenant being formed. And in the same way, in the time of Abraham, the way to seal a deal, the way to make a covenant promise was to kill and cut in half an animal. In fact, the most common Hebrew word for the word covenant is a word karath, K-A-R-A-T-H. And that literally means to cut. So the Hebrew word for cut defines the word covenant. So here's the crazy thing. God was using a practice that was familiar in that time between individuals or kings of different nations to form these covenants, these promises. And when people made these covenants with one another, they would then walk between the two halves of these animals. And the reason they did this was it was symbolic. It was a way of saying, if either one of us breaks this covenant, if either one of us breaks this promise, if either one of us doesn't live up to our side of the bargain, then let what's happened to these animals happen to us. That was the significance. The way these animals have been killed and cut in half, let that happen to us if we should think of betraying this other person. And that's exactly what God did. Symbolized by fire, God passes through the halves as if to say, Abraham, you have my word. I can be trusted. My promise is good. I will do what I have said I will do. The covenant is made. And I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing this message, just how incredible this is. Because really, covenants weren't the only way that deals were done back then or that the land was acquired back then. There was also, like if a king decided he wanted the land of the person next to him and his army was big enough, he could just go and take it. He could go in with a conquering army, take over the land, and now this land belongs to me. But God in this picture, he isn't a conquering king he isn't a violent aggressor. He says, no, I want to I form a covenant here, a deal. Where I will live up to my side of the promise. You can live up to your side of the promise. And together, we will form this covenant. And like a marriage, not an arranged one or a forced one, but one where each partner chooses each other, God 
makes this promise to Abraham that I will be there for you. And here's why this is such a significant part of Abraham's story and why it actually plays a part in our lives today. This is the crazy thing. This happened years and years ago, but it actually leads up to where we're at today. Because this wasn't the only covenant that God made. Prior to this, God had made a covenant with Noah where he said, I will, the, the rainbow will be the sign of my promise that will never destroy the earth with a flood again. Then he made this covenant with Abraham, then another one with Moses, then later on he makes a covenant with David. And, and all these promises are building upon each other. And then hundreds of years later, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah comes along and he actually kind of takes the, the, the covenants, the promises of the past and gives us that first glimpse of where they might be headed. Because he says in Jeremiah 31, 33, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. He's saying God has been promising this over the years and there is a new covenant coming. God, this is, this is building, this is working towards something that is yet to come. But the, the heart of this promise is this idea that God will be there for you, that he wants to be your God, that he wants you to be his people. I learned recently that that phrase, I will be their God and they will be my people, is actually, it's called a covenant refrain. A covenant refrain, because it basically is a, is a phrase that sums up the heart of the promises of God and it appears throughout the Old Testament, over the span of hundreds of years, this phrase keeps cropping up again dozens and dozens of times throughout the Old Testament, through all the books of the Old Testament. We keep seeing this, this phrase crop up again. It pops up again. I will be their God and they will be my people. In one form or another, that phrase just keeps reappearing. And it's almost like God is saying throughout this history of Israel, don't forget, don't forget. Don't forget the promises I made. Don't forget the promises of what's to come. Don't forget. And I love the fact they called it a covenant refrain because if you understand what a refrain is, it makes so much more sense. A refrain is something that, that, um, that will play constantly, that will remind us of something. And the best way to describe this is, is maybe a movie. If you've seen a movie, very often part of the movie score will be a refrain. There'll be a part of the music within the movie that will play. And especially if a movie is like a collection of multiple movies, this music, every time it plays, it just reminds you, oh yeah, it's that movie. It's that part of the movie whenever this refrain. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example and you can play along at home. Uh, see if you can guess uh, the movie based on this refrain. Come on, some of you are starting to. <laughs> there he is, Rocky Balboa. So. And through all the Rocky movies, it's not like that was just in Rocky 1. This, this song kept cropping up. And, and every time you watch the movie, you kind of get a bit more excited whenever that song plays. Here's another pretty famous one. One of my favorites. Yeah, this is my guy. 007, License to Kill. It's always the same one, James Bond. There he is, 007, James Bond. And again, dozens of movies, even different actors have played James Bond, but always that song, that refrain keeps coming back. All right, here's another one. Let's see if you... Let's 
Some of you know this. Come on, we've been watching these movies since the 70s. They just keep building and building. And, and, and every Star Wars movie that comes out, this music is there like a refrain. And, and I think probably my favorite one, because I experienced this earlier this year and all those emotions came flooding back. And if you sit in a cinema a few months ago and this music started to play and you're like, oh, this is taking me back. I just want to go fly an aeroplane. <laughs> good music. I mean, you're all right now picturing guys on aircraft carriers just doing stuff with chains. No idea what they're doing, but it's just capturing all that air, that Top Gun feel, you know, that fighter pilot feel. And I didn't realize this until I heard this person explain this, that, you know, in the same way that those movie refrains, they just give you all the feels, they just take you back. You know, this might be like number four or five in the series of these movies, but this song ties them all together. In the same way, that's why they call this a covenant refrain, because this promise from God, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Anytime the Israelites heard that in their history, they could have been on top of the mountain and things were going great, and they'd hear that phrase and they'd be like, yes, he is our God, he's with us, we're his people. There could have been times where things were going wrong. There was a, a period of Israel's history where they were taken into captivity and a land far away. And even then, this phrase cropped up and in the midst of their desperation, their hardest times, this, this song would start to play and they'd be like, yes, he is still, uh, he's, he's made this promise with us that started way back with Noah and Abraham and still goes on today, is going towards the future. This promise that God will be with us, this relational promise, this promise where he says, I will do this for you and you can do this for me and, and I want a relationship with you. And all of this is building over hundreds of years to the climax of the story, God's final work of his covenant promise to Abraham. And we arrive upon it on the pages of the gospel and the New Testament. It's as if we've been coming to the grand finale that all these previous covenants have been building towards what we see take place in the New Testament. One author describes it this way. He says, there's another reason the promises of the new covenants, and he's talking about Jesus here, make it superior to the old covenants. The old covenant, the old promise, is a shadow of the new promise, which is the real thing. Hebrews 10.1 says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. By looking at a shadow, I can tell a lot about an object what the real thing might look like. But a shadow is only two-dimensional. My view becomes three-dimensional when I look at the object itself. And there is a great deal of difference between the two. The Old Testament is a shadow of something yet to come. When we move to the New Testament, we are, in a sense, moving from two dimensions to three dimensions. We get to look back on history, and as we start looking at the life of this man named Abraham, we start to see that God promised him something that over hundreds of years through the Old Testament, his promise was true. He stayed faithful to his word. But it was just a shadow, a shadow of what was to come. Uh, Jeremiah said there is a new covenant coming. There will be a new promise that God will send, a new um, demonstration of his love for us, of his desire to be with us, of the relationship that he wants to have with us. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus arrives on the scene. We talked about this last week. We said that Abraham, the, the significance of Abraham is that from Abraham come, came the people of Israel. From the people of Israel came the Bible that we read today. From the lineage of Abraham 
came Jesus. All of it we can trace back to Abraham and it leads us towards Jesus who then leads us to where we are today. We can look back and see that relationship that we have now with Jesus is, is, is a part of the fulfillment of this promise that God made thousands of years ago and is still standing by to this day. It shows that God wants a relationship with us, that his covenant promises can be trusted, that his promises can be trusted even when our circumstances don't seem to support it. And if you want a fun um, bit of homework to do this week, like an exercise to do, go home and find a Bible study app or even just Google like the promises of God and you'll find lists of verses throughout the Bible that are the promises from God to us. And you'll find some incredible promises that God has made, that he's promised never to leave us or forsake us, even though sometimes it may feel like, like Justin said earlier, he's, he's a million miles away. A promise that he has a plan for our life, even when the future right now looks kind of fuzzy. A promise that the gifts he's given you, who he's made you to be, there is a purpose behind it. No matter what someone has said of you, no matter what your inner voice says to you, no matter how many times you think, well, that's it, my, my future has changed now because of this. His promise is still there. His promise is still there to use you and to do great things through you. And this is no more clear than when we see what happened next to Abraham. How his promise for us, how he sees in us sometimes things that we don't see in ourselves. And that's why we stand on his promise and not on our circumstances. That's why we stand on what he says about us and not what other people say about us or how we feel about ourselves. Because listen to what happened in Genesis 17. He's just made this promise to be with Abraham and now he says, and this or at this, Abraham fell down on the ground, and God says to him, this is my covenant, this is my promise with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, just like I said I would, but what's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abraham, instead you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. So this is really significant, because throughout the Bible, you see these times where somebody's name means something. You know, the significance of the person's name, it actually tells a story of who they are or what they're famous for. Sometimes there'll be people in the Bible where their name changes because of who they've become or who their destiny is leading them towards. And this is one of those situations. Abraham, the name his parents gave him, means exalted father. So for 75 years of his life, everywhere he's gone, people have known him as Abraham, the exalted father. That's a great name. I'd like to be known as Exalted Father. That'd be a good name to have. But now, God says, I'm gonna change your name. I'm gonna change it to Abraham because Abraham means father of a multitude or father of many nations. So Abraham's new name is now father of many nations. And you know who he wasn't at that point? The father of many nations. In fact, at this point, he wasn't the father of anyone. But this is the promise that God's given him. He says, I know your circumstances don't back up this name, but you are who I see in you. You are, you will become. And we're gonna hear over the coming weeks how this, this promise came to pass and how many nations now, just like the stars in the sky, look back and see Abraham as the father of many nations. But he had to make a choice. He could focus on his circumstances, that he was 100 years old, his wife was 90, and they've yet to have a son together. Or he could focus on the promise. Because everywhere he went, he would introduce himself as Abraham. I'm the father of nations. I'm the father of many. 
And at that point, he wasn't. For many years, he had to live like that. So here's my question to you today. What will you focus on today? What will you focus on this week? Will you focus on your circumstances, on your situations, on the things that are going wrong, the things that you are frustrated about, whatever it might be? Or will you turn your eyes to Jesus? We, we sang this song earlier, speaking to Jesus. Will you turn your eyes to him and say, God, I believe you've given me some promises and I'm gonna choose to stand on your promises. I'm gonna choose to stand on the promises. I'm gonna choose to stand on who you see in me, my name, who you know I am, not who others have said I am, but who you've said I am because his promises are good. And it's good for us to stand on them. Let's pray. Father, it's amazing to me that as we look back hundreds of years, thousands of years to the life of this man, Abraham, to see your hand at work building this this narrative, this story that will grow over time and leads us all the way to Jesus and then leads us to today. And and we can trace the decision that we've made. If if we're here today, Lord, and we've made a follower, and we have made a decision to follow Jesus, even though that decision was a very simple prayer to make, a very simple ask to make, actually what we were doing was we were building upon a tradition that goes back hundreds, thousands of years, a promise that you put in place thousands of years ago, and we were responding to that promise. And we, this morning, we choose to trust your word. We choose to trust your promise that you will be the God who we need you to be, that, Lord God, you will never leave us and forsake us. You will provide for us. You will hear our prayers. Whatever it may be that someone needs here this morning, Lord, I pray they will find that promise in you and find that you are faithful to your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.